The joke among priests is that Trinity Sunday should be called Heresy Sunday. Let me explain. Over the centuries, the church and Christian theologians have developed sophisticated philosophical terms and expressions to describe the mystery of how God can be three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet even for someone who is educated in Trinitarian theology, like a priest, hopefully, it's nearly impossible to talk about it at any length without saying something incorrect, at least inadvertently. And the reason is, is because the Trinity is so foreign to our ordinary way of understanding and describing the world. Hence the reason that we need a specialized philosophical vocabulary to talk about it coherently in the first place. We rightly see the created world as a vast arena of conflict. For example, two people can't both eat the same cookie or wear the same pair of shoes at the same time. This exists in the natural world as well. For example, the lion has to eat the gazelle in order to live. Or if the tree grows bigger, it blocks the sunlight to the flowers on the ground. For anything that's made of matter, there is an inherent conflict with anything else that's made of matter. Two things can't both occupy the same space at the same time. Something has to be destroyed or give way. Like if I start hitting this ambo with my hand, eventually one or the other is going to be destroyed, most likely my hand. This conflict goes deeper than original sin, although sin is a kind of outgrowth of this reality when it's allied with human free will. Rather, it's inherent in the very fabric of creation. In a world of physical things, there's inherently going to be conflict and destruction. And to say that is not a knock on God's creation. Recall that in Genesis, God looked upon the world and said it was good. Note that he didn't say that it was perfect, because only God is perfect. Even what God creates is, by definition, something less than God. From that reality, God's perfection can be grasped in the fact that he exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet there is absolutely no conflict between them. God's inner life is a perfect communion of mutual love and self-giving, which stands in contrast to the topsy-turvy, conflict-laden world of creation, where at some level the good of one thing is at the expense of the good of another. That's the glory of the Most Holy Trinity. And the good news for us is that by the incarnation and redemption offered by Jesus Christ in becoming man, the world becomes again an icon of the triune God. We say in the creed that Jesus Christ is begotten, not made. He was not created by the Father. There was never a point at which the Son did not exist with the Father. But Jesus Christ is the image of the Father by virtue of the fact that he proceeds forth from the Father like a reflection, but not like a one-dimensional reflection as we might see in the mirror. Rather, the Son is the perfect replication of everything that the Father is. The word of the Father proceeds in such an intense way that it instantiates itself as the unique person of the Son. Again, at the risk of sounding heretical because the Son of God was not created, we can compare the begetting of the Son by the Father to the creation of the universe. Both are acts of sending forth, of making the love of the Father concrete. 
And so it wasn't arbitrary that the Son was incarnated as Jesus Christ in order to redeem the world. The begotten Son, who by virtue of procession is the prototokos, or firstborn of God the Father, is the one who is sent to repair creation which has fallen into sin. And that's why after Jesus ascends to the Father, it's fitting that we should then be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the love of the Father for the Son and of the Son for the Father. A love that is so strong that it instantiates itself in a third person, the Holy Spirit. When Christ ascended to the Father, he brought his human body, a piece of creation, with him. And thus he restored the unity that was meant to exist between the Trinity and creation itself. Once again, God could look upon creation as he does his son with love. And creation could once again look back on the Father with love. And so creation should then once again enjoy the Holy Spirit who had been lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Yet, as always, God gives us something more, because by nature, nothing of creation can equal the glory of God, including us as human beings, even though we are made in the image and likeness of God. As I said, we live in a physical world, racked by conflict among things down to the very level of molecular matter. That conflict is only magnified as we move up the chain of creation to man, who because of sin manifests that conflict all the more in pride, hatred, violence, and jealousy. And so when we are baptized, we are given the supernatural gift of love. Love is the inner logic of the Christian life. Thomas Aquinas called love the greatest of the virtues because it is the efficient cause of all of the other virtues. Trinitarian love is infused in us directly by our baptism, because when we are baptized, we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we inherit, some, inherit something, something within us that reflects the very inner life of God, which is love and harmony. We will never fully understand how God can be a trinity of persons, distinct yet united, but we can live it. Because as Christians, all of our life is Trinitarian, but its most tangible expression for almost all of us is in the family. The family is that earthly institution where people can live in a true relationship of love and self-giving in the closest approximation to the life of the Holy Trinity. It's why the church teaches that the family is the very foundation of society. The catechism says, the family is the original cell of social life. It is the natural society in which husband and wife are called to give themselves in love and in the gift of life. Authority, stability, and a life of relationships within the family constitutes the foundations for freedom, security, and fraternity within society. Since Father's Day is coming up, I would be remiss if I did not relate something of the Trinity to the fathers and to the would-be fathers among us. Although the persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, are co-eternal and co-equal, Thomas Aquinas taught that God the Father was the principium, the principle or the foundation of the Trinity, because the Son and the Holy Spirit are defined in relation to the Father. I think this is true of families as well. Where fathers are strong, families are strong. 
where the Father loves, the family loves. All of us should pray that the Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of all fathers this coming Father's Day. Let me leave you with the instruction of Pope St. John Paul II to fathers. He wrote, in revealing and reliving on earth the very fatherhood of God, a man is called upon to ensure the harmonious and united development of all of the members of his family. He will perform this task by exercising a generous responsibility for the life conceived under the heart of the mother, by a more solicitous commitment to education, a task he shares with his wife, by work, which is never a cause of division in the family, but promotes its unity and stability, and by means of a witness that he gives of an adult Christian life, which effectively introduces children to the living experience of Christ and the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.